was the J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut, a podcast for all things cinema. What's up? It's your man, Andreas, um, creator and main editor of Films Fatale, and we've got a really exciting episode ahead of us. So uh, who else do I have with me? Hey guys, it's James. I produce music under the alias Boutique Paul, and I am a host of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel. I have a degree in film preservation. I love language and film and how film can be used to promote language, and I'm happy to be here this evening. So today we had a very interesting topic from James. Can you tell us a little more about it? Yeah, I like to call it bait and switch. And it's a topic where we're all going to discuss films that upon viewing the trailer convinced us it was one thing and then seeing the film it became something completely different hmm, that does happen sometimes yeah i you you're going to find a lot of deceptive advertising in the film industry but a lot of it is also especially in the digital day and age sometimes uh the people who make this promotional material only have like a fifth of the film prepared and that's what they have to work with so it's not always the result of somebody trying to be fishy or um, get you to see a film that you would not otherwise see. Sometimes it really is just what the film seems like at that certain point. To be honest, I found it hard to find one for this episode because what surprised me was how honest many trailers are these days. They're too honest to give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was that difficult. I came up with a topic and knew instantly what I was going to pick. All right, then. Well, what did you pick? Let's kick things off. I picked Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. Okay, okay. That is a great one, but please tell us more because I know where this is going. Yeah, so when I first saw the trailer, I was convinced it was going to be some crime thriller drama type movie that just happens over spring break. That's what the trailer presented it as. You know, there's a lot of these like quick cuts of, you know, I don't there are these girls going on spring break. They, you know, they show they rob someplace to get money to go. And then they get down there and they're partying hard. And, you know, they come across this like gangster dude and, you know, just having wild fun times. And then when I went and saw the movie, but before I get into the movie, I'm going to explain that this was by far one of the best experiences I've had in a movie theater. Cause the day before I actually saw the remake of the evil dead. Oh my goodness. And I saw it with a group of people. It was my dad, myself, my best friend, and his mom. And I think we had another friend with us. Yeah, I think we might have had another friend with us. Which I loved it. And then the next night, because that theater was packed, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to a movie by myself. And then I'd heard of Spring Breakers. There was some sort of 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock showing. I go, and it was the only time I've ever been asked my for my ID. Oh, my God. At a movie theater. Yeah, it was really weird. I got, How old were you? I was 22. Ah, so you must have been very youthful. Well, it was weird because I got asked at the ticket booth and then I got asked by a worker on my way into the theater. Oh, my God. And I was confused. Do I look old or young? I, I guess I had a full beard. That's why I was really confused. So I go in there and it's the tail end of its run. So it's in one of the smaller theaters. There was only like a few rows and I sat at the very back because the very back is the very front in those kind of theaters. So I'm the first one there. I'm sitting down. Trailers come up. Still the only one there. I'm like, all right. Just waiting for this movie to kick off. Movie starts. I'm still alone in the theater and not a single person showed up for the duration of that movie. That is amazing. I had the entire theater by myself. That is cool. That's like a unicorn, but you got to make the most of it. Yeah. And then what ensued was, again, I'm thinking this is just some generic crime type movie. 
No, it is what I will refer to as a pop art art house film. This movie was just so bizarre in its presentation. And I loved it for that. But it was just one of those movies where I look at the end of it. I was like, what did I just watch? Especially James Franco plays this character alien. And I have yet to see him play another role as captivating as that. Really? With a career like his? Yeah, with a career like his, I think it's just the way the film was put together, the cinematography, the lighting, this kind of really avant-garde. It was kind of non-linear in spots because it does this weird thing where it shows something happening and it'll cut back to like shortly before. And it's just this intercut thing that worked out really well. It's almost hypnotic. You know, I saw I saw an interview or read an interview with Harmony Corinne, and he said that he refers to this as his pop poem. And I thought that was a really interesting way to describe it. But just the way it played out. And also, I had a kind of a preconceived notion because of the actresses they got in the movie, because it was starling Ashley Benson, who was coming off of Pretty Little Liars, Vanessa Hudgens, obviously High School Musical and Selena Gomez. And I didn't know what to expect. And then this is just totally left field of anything I would have ever expected any of them to play. It was really interesting. It was one of those things where I wasn't disappointed that was different, but I was just so caught off guard because actually at that point, I think the only thing I had actually consumed of Harmony Corinne's work was kids. And he just wrote the screenplay and that's a very straightforward movie. So I didn't know what to expect. Then I went back into his catalog and I was like, oh, it makes sense now. This is why it's strange. Yeah, because he has all of these demented depictions of American uh, suburbs and ways of life. And yeah, the, the pop art, art pop type thing is interesting because it's using like Skrillex as a, as a soundtrack or, um, you know, other types of EDM or, uh, the also Cliff Martinez does, the does the score, not the songs, but the score. And I love Cliff Martinez. Yeah. Cliff Martinez has score. Yeah, it's like really synthetic sounding. And yeah, you have all these recognizable faces. And Gucci Mane's still, in it. Yes, he is. Uh, pre, pre-saved Gucci Mane, by the way. So, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting because on one hand, this should have been like the most mainstream thing he ever did. But on the other hand, for a lot of people, particularly the trailer who's in it, it ended up being like the most non-mainstream they've ever seen. So it's like and from what I recall, it had pretty low expectations when it came out and it sort of defied them outside of like festival appearances like TIFF. Yeah, it, it basically was not really coveted. And then it ended up being kind of like either a guilty pleasure or a fully fledged favorite of the year for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was very divisive with audiences. But I noticed when I was looking at the numbers, this made $35 million, I think, against a $5 million budget. So it's it's one of his most commercially successful films. It was also one of his most widespread films. It, it was given a bigger run than his previous stuff because the rest of his stuff would only be playing in like art house places or festivals. And then, you know, honestly, I also consider it to be his best work. It's the most accessible while still being one of the more strange works. And I think that's what I thought was great about it. And I was kind of disappointed when the beach bum didn't work out as well because i was super excited and then there were moments that were promising but he deviated from his usual storytelling he didn't focus on a community he focused on one guy and then that one guy was played by matthew mcconaughey it was like this could either go really good or really bad and i thought he played the character great it was just it was just so flat by the end of it it's almost like with spring breakers he was defying 
what mainstream cinema could be. But with the beach bum, he almost was actually trying to partake in it and it didn't work. I don't know. It wasn't that great of a film, but spring breakers. Yeah. I really liked that one a lot. Yeah. That, that was my pick. Well, Rachel, what is yours? I'm dying to know. Cause you said you had a hard time picking this. So what did you ultimately decide upon? Yeah. I actually had to Google misleading trailers. Cause I never really watch trailers. I always choose movies based on other circumstances. But finally, I figured one out, and it was this weird little movie I absolutely adore, and that is Hail Caesar by the Coen Brothers. Okay. Came out a few years ago. That was a really good movie. Yeah, it's great. So the premise for anyone who hasn't seen it is that Josh Brolin is the fixer for a Hollywood studio. So whenever his stars do something stupid, which happens a lot, he has to go get the press out of the way and fix the problem for the star. And so he's kept run off his feet all the time. And there's a really beautiful ensemble piece in it. You've got Tilda Swinton, Scarlett Johansson, Jonah Hill, George Clooney, Channing Tatum, and many, many others. But the trailer really condenses it down to one plot line. Part of the story is George Clooney gets abducted from the set of his movie. And so he, one of the problems he has to solve is he has to go save George Clooney. But the trailer makes it seem like some kind of mad caper to rescue George Clooney. And that's only one element of the film. The reality is it's this huge revolving piece around Josh Brolin's character as he tries to fix all the star's problems. And Clooney's only one small piece of that. So they kind of highlight which stars are in the movie. And I understand they can't include it all in the trailer. But, you know, Scarlett Johansson has her own plot. Ray Fiennes has a really great plot with Alden Ehrenreich. And um, Jonah Hill gets his moment to shine So it really diminishes and sort of steers away from what the main point of the movie is, that Josh Brolin is saving everybody's butt. Yeah, it's more of a revelation of the underbelly of Hollywood at the time, which is done really beautifully by the Coen brothers um, and the cast as well, who really capture that place and time in Hollywood. Even somebody like Channing Tatum, who you'd think would be a fish out of water, is perfect in his role. So. He was hilarious. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It it really is a mis a misconceived trailer because you do think it's as you said this whole caper to try and find the George Clooney character, and really it's closer almost to like an inherent vice, but not as confusing. Like uh, less about these cases and more about like the overall discovery within them and what this means about where we are and what this type of job entails. It's a lot more mm-hmm. interesting, for sure. It really avoids the point of what the movie's about. That said, I do think it's George Clooney's best performance, and I know that's controversial. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a really good performance. <laughs> yeah, there's two specific things I really liked about the movie, aside from all the great things that are already, you know, have to do with the movie. Any moment Channing Tatum dances in a movie is always a winning point for me, because it reminds you, oh, wait, he does have other talents. Yes, or uh, primary talents, I would say, because I'm not the biggest fan of his acting. But it's like, oh, yeah, he can do something really yeah, well all true. the time. So it's, it's his hand. But the other thing is, and this kind of goes along with uh, any of the Coen Brothers movies I've seen. They do this one thing with their storytelling that the only person I can ever say pulls it off just as well is Wes Anderson. Is there's the right mixture of awkward and nihilism injected into the story that pushes these characters along. It's almost like a dark cloud without being a dark cloud. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. My other favorite of theirs is A Serious Man, and that movie is nothing but a dark cloud and awkward people. Exactly. But it's also interesting because you brought up Wes Anderson, 
who, like the Coen brothers, usually have star-studded casts, but it's almost as if, because a lot of star-studded casts kind of underwhelm because you see like 20 faces on a on a bill and you watch the film and it's like, that guy only had like one line. But it seems like the Coen brothers and Wes Anderson, kind of like a Robert Altman did back in the day, just knew how to use all of these little pieces and make this huge colossal statement and idea as opposed to trying to just get by on the credentials of these people. And much like Paul Thomas Anderson. Exactly. Well, former Paul Thomas Anderson, when he was channeling Altman before he was doing the whole Kubrick thing, which not a problem there. Both eras are amazing. Well, anyway, um, that's all I have to say about Hail Caesar. Andres, what was your pick? Well, mine is also notorious, like both of yours. So I think we've all been on the same even playing field of uh, notoriously misleading trailers. I'm going to go a little bit older. So I was younger when I saw this. This was back in 2008. And part of this was the trailer itself. And part of this was other promotional material. There was a little film that did really well in festival circuits, particularly TIFF, where it won the People's Choice Award. Rachel might know where I'm going with this. And it ended up winning Best Picture that year because it was touted as this big feel-good great film about you know self-restoration and you could do anything it's a regs to riches and then you actually sit down and watch slumdog millionaire and it is so much darker than that so much more full of anxiety and tension so i just revisited the trailer earlier today for the first time in years and you've got that cigar rose song which isn't in the film which Danny Boyle would make up for in 127 hours with that cigar rose song, but I digress. Uh, you have other upbeat melodies. It focuses primarily on the fact that Dev Patel's character is on who wants to be a millionaire. And he's got this big shot. How does he know all of this stuff? You know, it's painting him out to be a genius as opposed to what the film actually shows a guy who's had a really terrible life and just has all of these experiences that he had to hold on to, to survive. It's a lot darker. The film doesn't go into anything like the chemical eye gouging or the child trafficking or anything that the film was trying to shed light on in South Asia. And also the greed of televised events like game shows and whatnot and the corruption behind them with the studios. It focuses more just on the uplifting side of things. Look at this guy. He's doing well on a game show. What is it? The 100 million rupee prize question. Like it. Hey, yeah, it was really, really, really misleading. And it wasn't just a trailer. I remember in the Toronto Star, the feel good movie of the year. It isn't. It's a great film and I adore it. I think it's fantastic because not everyone likes it. But there is nothing feel good about it. It is so harrowing to watch. Uh, what do you guys really? think? I, I think there's there is even though there are dark sections, there is this feel good element to it because you get your he gets his win, he gets his happy ending. Sorry for the spoiler for a twelve year old movie. <laughs> no, but that's true. But at the same time, like overall, it's still a much darker film. Considering, and even though he did get his happy ending, there's still that dark future of what does this mean next for them? We don't actually know. We don't know what's going to come afterwards. All we know is that they've reunited and that's it. And he's got the, the I guess, USD million dollar prize, but we don't know. And it ends on a musical number. 
yes, a fantastic one at that. But it still is incredibly misleading. Like it's painting it as if it's like this live action Disney film when it really couldn't be any further from the truth. It's a lot more um, aesthetically inclined, particularly meshing the some elements of Bollywood with some elements of Hollywood and then Danny Boyle's pseudo art house type of direction. I love the film overall, and I do think it's it's underrated because I again I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. I just think that the trailer is way off, in my opinion. I thought it was a really great movie, but looking back, there's so much significance in like smaller areas that people wouldn't realize. Dev Patel's performance was great, but this is also he's coming off being Anwar and Skins. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You got to think about it. He's playing some teenager just getting into trouble. Then he goes to the serious dramatic role and really shows his acting chops. I'm assuming people probably weren't expecting that kind of performance out of him when he first got cast. Because, you know, being from a TV show, you know, there's always that opinion of people when they try to transition to movies like, oh, can they really pull this off? And even since Slumdog Millionaire, he's grown so much. Like his later performances are phenomenal. Well, especially Lion. I feel like he had a few duds, but he's back in the right place between Lion and uh, that one that was supposed to come out this year, what's it called? The Green King? And the Amazon series Modern Love, he was pretty good in. Yes. Another point that I like about this movie is Anthony Dodd-Mantle, who is by far one of my favorite cinematographers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of those, like the shots of those kids running through the streets, which I found out how they shot that. It's like this really small camera they used with a laptop and a backpack. Wow. And it just plugged directly in the computer. There, it, there was no hard drive it recorded to. It, it was like it's like really small. They use that because the kids are small and they wanted to actually capture them running the streets. That's why you have these extreme close-ups that don't look realistic because you know we all know the size of cameras don't really work in that kind of format. But also, he was the first digital filmmaker to win best cinematography. Oh yeah, and it's kind of great because. It's 2008. Well, obviously the awards happened in 2009, but this is a decade after he did Thomas Vinterberg's Festen or The Celebration, which was one of the first commercial films to use digital cinema, which was pretty much set off by the Dogma 95 movement because Lars Rutgers, The Idiots came out that same year on the, on the festival circuit. But yeah, just to, you know, and he never thought this would ever happen. You know, he's, you know, digital cinematography, the divide that cause. And then here he is winning the big prize a decade later. It was like all that work paid off. So yeah, it came, it came full circle, which is really poetic. Also the film is called the green Knight, not the green King. It's obviously if the film came out this year, like it was supposed to, I would remember that, but alas, anyway, so those are our picks for the, the baited switch. James, do we have a tentative pitch idea that we can come up with for something like this? For something like this, when I came up with this idea, I didn't really think of it in this manner. You could cut together a really misleading trailer. But what I was thinking of, think Wall Street meets Nightmare on Elm Street. Isn't Nightmare on Wall Street just everyday life now? (laughs) No, it, it gets better. It deals with you know, people in the stock trade, but they're starting to notice weird things are happening. You know, numbers aren't going how they're supposed to. And you find out there's one person kind of playing with the numbers, but he's going to be a Freddy Krueger like character. You know how Freddy Krueger only appears in dreams. This guy only appears when the market's open. Oh, oh shit. Wow. Okay. And then, you know, some, some people catch on and then it, it culminates in this, you know, ragtag group of rogue investors and stockbrokers and they got to try to catch them. And it's going to be ridiculous. Like it goes off in this ridiculous adventure. But I, I thought that'd be kind of like a funny thing to do 
you know, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, but you know, it's dealing with Wall Street. But it's almost it's almost grounded in reality because no one really knows how the numbers work anyway, and there's people doing shady stuff all the time. So it's like a great metaphor, but just add that little kind of fantasy twist to it. I wonder what Michael Douglas is charging these days. <laughs> well, yeah, he's. I had him in mind to play the Freddy Krueger like character. <laughs> Greed. Well, he could just play his character. He could just play his character from Wall Street. <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly the point. Greed. Is yeah, still I've got tough for Gordon Gecko. Fair enough. Who's going to be making this thing? Scorsese. You know, I don't know. Scorsese. You know, that actually makes sense. It needs a screenplay by Jordan Peele. Okay. Oh, that would be great. That's a matchup. That'd be an an interesting combination. I feel like they would click well together because they're both super talented and they both make very intricate movies. So That's true. If Michael Douglas is the antagonist, the Freddy Krueger type guy, who's the person that makes it to the end? Because everyone else is going to get, get killed around by this Freddy Krueger of Wall Street type character. Who's the guy or gal that makes it to the end, tough as nails, and has to take on this executive all by themselves? I'm thinking maybe a Charlie Saron. I was thinking John Krasinski. Why not both? It could be both. Oh, yeah, we could have both. We could make it a team. I think John Krasinski is just because he looks like a guy who would be on Wall Street. And we know he can do horror. Yes. Yeah. Even behind the camera, too, which is important. So I guess he would know what it would take to try. And he also acted in A Quiet Place. So to do both, what it would take to really bring this to life. Possible. But I feel like also Charlize Theron also can do basically anything and can command even a film which could become ridiculous like this because it's such a interesting premise it's one of those things that's either fantastic or it could just fall apart i could see her harnessing the power of her performance as megan kelly that sort of corporate image exactly yeah the the bombshell performance that she had which uh Hot take. I think she should have won Best Actress, but let's move on. Uh, so um, <laughs> that was a good performance. I, I honestly thought she was the best in that category. Anyway, uh, this could be really cool. What are we going to name this thing? I guess we have the name already. Uh, a Nightmare on Wall Street, which a lot of people would take for a documentary. I don't know. <laughs> You'd, oh, maybe we do that. Maybe we trick people into thinking it's a documentary. Or we could even go with like the sequel name of um of wall street where it's like uh, a nightmare on wall street money never sleeps still <laughs> like, which was a really bad <laughs> subtitle for for the sequel was it, yeah, it was like money never sleeps right <laughs> and then you could make the werewolf of wall street ah uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> werewolf of wall the were, street the werewolf oh man every- <laughs> Can't even can't even complete the thought. Um, the horror Wall Street universe. <laughs> the, 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 every time, I think every, I killed Andrea. Yeah, you did. Every time you, there's there's that turnover into the new calendrical uh, uh, day, the werewolf comes out and, and starts the stalks in the morning, kills everyone, and then it's a new leaf. And it's because it's Wall Street, you have all these interns that keep coming back in. Starting the first day, they all get wiped out. Same thing happens the day afterwards. Until one intern catches on and basically says, oh I mean, if God. the interns got eaten and had to be replaced, would anybody really notice in that kind of environment? No, they wouldn't. That's why they keep doing it. 
Who would be side characters getting picked off one by one? Oh goodness. Uh Adam Driver. Adam Driver's gonna be the intern that oh no, he's gonna get picked off, or is he gonna be the intern that that wisens up? No, no, no. This is what we do. We do it like Scream did it. He's in the beginning. We trick people into thinking he's the main character, just like Drew Barrymore, and then we kill him in the very first five minutes of the movie. Oh, uh, okay. And then the the follow-up could be Rooney Mara. The, the intern that follows in his footsteps and then catches on and basically says, Oh, what do we do? And then takes a distance back and, and tries to evaluate the werewolf, the werewolf who was played by any ideas. Michael Fassbender. Yes. Cause he could do the wall street thing and the werewolf thing. That's a good pick. I like it. Honestly, if we, <laughs> continuing the scream motif, we'd need a Randy Meeks type character who's just a nerd about the stock market for no reason at all other than it's his interest who should have that be like i don't know um joseph gordon levitt joseph oh that's a good pick yeah he's just like running numbers <laughs> doesn't even notice that people are getting yeah. left right and center he's just like don't know what happened to steve but he's not in today so you're a new intern it's like steve's dead but you never realize that because you're so fixated on getting numbers so <laughs> right I like this series. Do we have one last one to make it a trilogy? So <laughs> Werewolf on Wall Street, Nightmare on Wall Street. Do we have one more? Oh, God. A Miracle on Wall Street. We could wrap it up with like a, like a Christmas. <laughs> a Miracle on Wall Street. <laughs> Santa bails them out. Okay, so who's Santa? Oh, man, oh God. Wild. Who would be Santa? Uh, we could have James Earl Jones. Yes, James, James Earl Jones. Earl Jones. I don't think he's been Santa yet that I recall, so he maybe it's time. Be Santa. This is This is his chance to become Santa. And we're going to have, instead of a kid, like, you know, in Miracle, it could be like... Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, there we go. But instead of like a whimsical type of thing, it's like an actual legal drama about Wall Street. And like, you can't be sat on Wall Street. You're interfering with our numbers. So it becomes this whole corruption thing to try and slander his name. So he takes it to the courts. Who'd play the lawyer? Who'd play the lawyer? Kurt Russell. <laughs> what do you think? Kurt, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell would be the... That's true. He has no. We'd have to have because we we would we would need uh, two lawyers. You know, <laughs> we'd have him as a lawyer and John Turturro as the other lawyer. John Turturro is in dire need of a good role, so let's give it to him. It's been a while since he's had a good role, so let he could be a lawyer. How about that? So there's our trilogy. I think we've got a damn good trilogy. It's uh, <laughs> uh, the the Werewolf of Wall Street. Uh, a Nightmare on Wall, on, on Wall Street and uh, a Miracle on Wall Street. But those sounds are, like an adventure. That would be amazing. It's like the next Decalogue, but only better. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Uh, but those aren't our recommendations of the week. What are our recommendations of the week? All right. So my pick is a short documentary this week. It is called The Lion's Mouth Opens. And um, the filmmaker Mariana Palka, whom you might have seen on the TV shows Girls and Glow, um, it's about her decision to get tested for Huntington's disease. And the way it works is if she's positive, she's certain to die of a debilitating disease. If she's negative, she's free and clear. 
And so it's a 50-50 chance. And so it follows her through the night before when she throws a party with her friends to talk about her life and her decision. And then the whole next day she goes through the testing and gets the results. And it's a really scary, interesting, and ultimately just very empowering movie. I would highly recommend it. That does sound interesting. I've never heard of this one. And it looks like I got really rave reviews as well. It's fabulous. I would highly recommend. I'm going to follow Rachel's line of thought here with a short because I'm starting my own research for the film's Fatale Best 100 Shorts Films list. I'm going to go with an obvious favorite of mine, and it's a very infamous film. Uh, Kenneth Anger's Scorpio Rising, which is a very counterculture short film on pop music and pop imagery and film. So you have all of these um, these bikers in this kind of queer subtextual setting with all of this violence and hateful imagery going on, but it's all paired up with pop tunes of the 60s and the 50s. So you're looking at like Little Peggy March or The Crystals and uh, Blue Velvet, the song. And it was a very innovative time for... Uh, soundtrack dissonance, which is something that filmmakers like Scorsese and Tarantino utilize all the time, where you have happy songs with violent imagery or harsh songs with happy imagery. It started before uh, Scorpio Rising, but a lot of it did come influentially because of this film. A lot of people were inspired to do this sort of thing because of Kenneth Anger. And it's a little bit of an obvious pick when it comes to short experimental films, but I I adore it. I really love it. And I'm still so happy that the guy's alive. I'd love to tell him to his face one day that I adore Scorpio rising. So that's my pick. Maybe he'll hear this. Hopefully. I'm going to go with you guys on the whole short thing because I don't want to be different. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go with the short multifacial and it is a short film that is directed, produced, written by and starring Vin Diesel. Okay. It's dealing with a struggling actor and him going around town doing all these different auditions, but he's racially ambiguous. So he's very versatile with his looks. So he's auditioned. The first thing you see him in, he's auditioning for an Italian character and a very stereotypical Italian character too. It's also, he's doing this monologue that is borderline offensive and he calls his agent who I think gave him the monologue and said, yeah, I wasn't really too comfortable with that. So it kind of shows his humanity too, with, with dealing with all these really weird stereotypes. But along the way he goes for this TV show, a uh, Spanish TV show. And then there's another one where he auditions to be a black character. And then the final audition, he's given the option to do whatever he wants. So he goes into this monologue that is very captivating and very dramatic. And throughout the whole thing, he's, interacting with different people and he's just questioning they're saying oh you should do that you should do music videos and commercials and he's just name dropping all these characters like you know brando and Sidney portier like he's like they didn't do these kinds of things to make it why should i and everybody's basically trying to tell him like look get the work and it's very interesting because following that he wrote directed produced and starred in a feature called strays and it shows a different side of vin diesel's actually having talent and not just being an action star. This is before the action movies. He actually showed talent as a director and writer. Yeah, it's very weird because, you know, the movie, the feature isn't perfect itself, but you could just tell there's something to him 
and what he wanted to do. And even I think what was it? Uh, I think Steven Spielberg said when he was when he cast him in is it Saving Private Ryan? Mm-hmm. Was that that movie? That yeah, yes, yeah, he wasn't. He said he said he didn't cast him for the actor in him. He said he casted him for the director in him because he had seen both. I think he had seen the short and the feature. That's a super interesting perspective to come from. It makes me think what would have happened had he continued directing and writing. Yeah, because I'm not a fan of his acting at all. Yeah, but like, I'm really curious to check this out now because maybe he was like a Sylvester Stallone type thing where he was bound to tell stories more than be in them, I think. Because that was like the whole action thing or whatever. So I'm curious. I don't like... Sorry, we were talking about George Clooney earlier, and I think some of us at least think that he's a far better director than an actor, even though he's a talented actor. That's fair. And, you know, Diesel's still got years left in his career. Maybe maybe he'll come out with something. Well, I actually had uh, stumbled upon these looking back at his career because there was an article where Steven Spielberg said it was a disservice to film for him to stop directing. And he said he might consider it for the future. Because, you know, I mean, after that, you know, he voices the Iron Giant and then he ends up in the Fast and Furious series and, you know, the Riddick series. And that was just kind of what he was pegged as. He's the action guy and he does it well. But it just, you know, it always makes me wonder, man, had he taken the writer director route, you know, what, where would it have gone? Because, you know, I, I think he probably would have brought a different, you know, personality to the writer director, but also starring in his own feature thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you, it's along the lines of like Woody Allen's and Spike Lee's and other people who do the same. Like, I wonder what he would have brought to the table and the kind of stories he would have told. Well, speaking of misleading, I completely didn't know that Vin Diesel was capable of this type of stuff. I'm going to have to check it out. But that's it for this episode of The K Cut. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, where we will talk some more cinema stuff. For now, this was the K-Cut, and now we are going into the L-Cut. <laughs>